The following guided meditation was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thanks for coming, everyone. It's nice to see so many people on Saturday evening, and I'm guessing you're here because it's a joy to see Steve Armstrong and Kamala Masters here. They've been such important teachers for so many of us here. Some of you are just coming off retreat. For 25 years, Steve and Kamala have been leading the TCVC, the Twin Cities Vipassana Collective Summer Retreat. They did come once in the Minnesota winter, early in the 90s, and decided (laughs) never to do that again. They both live on Maui, so maybe you understand. They have a beautiful Dharma sanctuary that they've been building for over 20 years, um, high up on the side of the volcano, overlooking the islands and the ocean, really a tranquil place for uh, long-time Dharma students to come up and practice there and also where they live. And we're always so happy to have them back in Minnesota. Besides co-founding the Dharma Sanctuary in Maui, both Steve and Kamala have deep, deep roots, both at Spirit Rock, but especially at IMS in Massachusetts, our grandmother institution, Kamala is currently one of the guiding teachers there, which is an important role in helping to teach the current teacher training program. Shelley Graff is one of the teacher trainees that Kamala and others are uh, training to be the next generation of retreat teachers in our tradition. And Steve started off with a number of other esteemed staff members of at IMS way back in the 70s, Carol Wilson and Guy Armstrong and Michelle McDonald was a staff person in Rodney and, yeah, maybe others too, that have all become really well-known, well-loved Dharma teachers here in the West. And Steve was also on the board of directors and just an all-around great resource for the early years of IMS and, of course, has been a Dharma teacher there for a long time now, since the early 90s. And uh, after their busy nine-day or eight-day retreat, just coming off, ending at one o'clock today, we're so happy that they're willing to get over here before they fly off to their next things tomorrow to meet with us tonight and share the Dharma. So thank you so much. So the reason we don't come back in the winter is, (laughs) you may think it's obvious, but The morning that we were going to leave Maui to come here, the front page of the Maui newspaper showed a picture of 40 below in Minnesota. (laughs) And we were reading the paper at the 80 degrees Maui. So in overnight, we... uh, 120 120 degrees. That was a shock. <laughs> my, my body went into hibernation when I, <laughs> when I got here. And uh, I came out just before we had to get on the plane and go, go back. <laughs> so that's the way it is sometimes. So just to allay any um, questions or concerns about what this thing is doing here, this is my little constant companion now. Uh, 15 months ago I was uh, diagnosed with a glioblastoma, uh, main uh, brain tumor, 
very aggressive, had a quick uh, surgery, a round of chemo and radiation, and now I have this thing called an Optune medical device. And it has a little battery and a generator, and it generates a certain frequency in my brain. There's these electrodes around my head, uh, 36 of them, and I wear it uh, 21 hours a day. And it has the capacity of preventing cancer cells from subdividing. That means they can't grow. So that's why I'm wearing it. So I can, <laughs> so I can prolong my life a, a little bit longer. So as an experience, both the tumor, the surgery, the treatments, and this thing, not a big deal. Really, it's not a big deal. There's been a little bit of uh, fatigue and nausea and a little bit of that one with chemo and uh, radiation, but no pain, a little, bit of, a little bit of dissonance in my speaking. So if you hear me talking and then abruptly, clo- uh, uh, abruptly sto- uh, stop, it's because I've forgotten what I was talking about. So don't be surprised. <laughs> what should we do now? Oh. Um, Can you hear back there? Okay. Okay. Steve's going to think he's at a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> As they say, sometimes the light's all shining on me. <laughs> Other times I can barely see. Lately, all it occurs to me. What a long, strange trip it has been. So, we can talk about something that might not interest you. I know the Dharma is interesting to everybody, but we could veer off into something that's not particularly germane to you. So we'd like you to suggest what you'd like me and Kamala to talk about. That means you can ask questions. Or if you don't have a question, you can just tell us what's going on in your life in 25 pages or less. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, I'll let her talk first. <laughs> Should I? Uh, let me just say uh, thank you for the question on the Abhidhamma, and you, you picked a very, um, uh, not a very familiar topic, and it would take uh, a, a half a day, really, to, to build up the body and knowledge that would help you to understand what's going on. But if you're really insistent, write me, and I'll send you the information.
이렇게. 감사. 이번에. I'll try to answer in short your question about the sure heart's release. And what does that mean anyway? In uh, one of the suttas of uh, the Buddha's teachings, it was talked about as how we can do kind of a methodical step-by-step process in our own hearts and minds to free the heart and mind of all greed, hatred, and delusion. So basically, the process is first to, um, to purify our speech and behavior so that we're speaking and acting in ways that cause harmony and that do not cause harm. So basically, that means being deeply in alignment with the five precepts of non-harming. And I think most of you know what that means. Basically, it covers... Uh, all the ways that we speak uh, in in ways that can be harmony causing and ways that uh, can avoid harm and act also and so when we use that as a basis, it becomes easier to do what the second um, what the second step is the second major step when we can ease and relax our heart and mind because we know deeply that we're doing no harm to others and we're doing no harm to our own karmic stream by uh, acting and speaking in ways that harm others, it really helps our mind to relax and we're able to concentrate more. So I should say, um, go back a little bit and say the first step is sila. Sila is living in harmony, not just with our outer conditions, but also with our own highest values, living in harmony with our own highest values of non-harming. And from that place, it's easy for the heart and mind to concentrate, to really put our minds to the practice, to mindfulness, to awareness, for example, And when we're able to really do that, we're able to see the possibility of the mind to be free, even momentarily, from greed, hatred, and delusion. Because it's said when there's a very pure moment of mindful awareness, there's no greed, hatred, and delusion in that moment. So the mind sees that possibility, and it's able to go more onward to opening, actually, sometimes to more difficult states, And when it it starts to open then, because of that sila, that deep harmony in the mind because of our speech and behavior, because of samadhi, which is the purification of the mind, even temporarily, it goes on to be able to purify our our views. The views uh, that the Buddha is talking about is the right view of how do we see life in the right view. And in a, in a nutshell, which could take you know various hours and days to talk about it, but I'll just say, the right view is seeing how everything is impermanent, how everything is not self, and how everything is really this unsatisfactory nature which understands that nothing in this relative life is going to bring enduring satisfaction. Of course, we will have that joy and satisfaction, but that's also fleeting. 
So in time, we're able to live with a, a mind that's very deep, a heart and mind very deep, very wide, able to accept anything that's happening and still be at peace and with the clarity to know how to respond to it appropriately. So just in a five-minute nutshell, that's a sure heart's release. But there, there are various um, Dharma talks on Dharma Seed Tape Library. Yes, back there. Uh, with this condition, uh, similar condition. Well, my particular condition was uh, after the surgery and starting chemo and uh, radiation. I had no idea what I was getting into. I mean, I just you know you hear this word cancer, chemo, radiation. It's a word, but you don't really know what the experience is. And so it's probably good not to know, you know. Well, well second round, Jeff, you'll know. But first time, <laughs> first round, you don't know. So I was lucky that as, as soon as I uh, had my surgery, uh, Kamala let a uh, former uh, caretaker on our land that I was, I had this condition, and he had since leaving our uh, sanctuary, he went to nursing school. And he was not employed at the time. So a split second, he said, I'm coming, and he's been with me ever since. And having a nurse uh, attending to me every day for the last 15 months has been a great uh, support both physically, emotionally, mentally, and that's kind of like the best it can get. But I've also had other close family and friends who uh, tolerate uh, my deficiencies in speaking and understanding in hearing and at times, uh, balance and like that. And just having that kind of constant uh, attention is healing. And one of my, one of our students uh, also put up a caring bridge. And uh, a lot of students, and probably some of you, are checking it in, and there's uh, thousands well-wishing. And uh, as you know, love is very healing. You know, even if you don't know the person and they're far away and you never see them, but you have some heartfelt, uh, may you be healthy, happy, it reaches. You know, I'm not saying that I'm an antenna and I can kind of pick it up, but somehow I'm really very healthy. So, um, Care, caring is really healing. Um, I think maybe the, maybe the most uh, condition that is most uh, healing is having done this practice for 40 years. Because the mind really, it goes crazy. 
it really goes crazy. Where you, if, if, if I wasn't able to watch my mind and see what's going through, I'd be jerked around by hope and dread and fear and hope. And you'd just be jerked around. You'd be crazy. And so having the, having the uh, capacity to watch the mind and just to see, wow, now there's this, this wave of emotion just going by. And I don't, I don't make a story of it. I don't, I don't fit it into my narrative of my life, the tapestry of my life. It just, something goes by, like the car that just went by. It just went by. I didn't grab onto it. I didn't wonder about it. Same with these kinds of thoughts about this condition. And understanding that everything that happens to us is natural. It's nature. It arises because of causes and conditions. It's not either good or bad. It's we that assign a good or bad to it. And yet if you practice uh, like we all are doing here, you know, it's the picking and choosing I like and I don't like that causes a lot of stress. So if you're willing to just accept everything that happens to you, no problem. So I'm not a caretaker for people who have a condition like me. <laughs> so but you'd have to ask them. But on the receiving end, having people care, but not take care of me. I have to take care of me mentally, physically, as much as I can, and rely on others. And that's been really hard to, you know, I'm from New England. It's a very self-reliant, do-it-yourself, don't depend on anybody else conditioning. And the hardest thing is to accept all the help that I have received. So you might, as a caretaker, you might, you might understand that some people need the help but can't really accept it. You know, it happens to them, not happening with them. So just keep an eye on that. And if you do your own practice, you'll be right in tune with what they're, what they're doing. Going through. Yeah, about integrating practice into daily life. Um, a lot of times when we're in the Dharma, we think uh, practice has to do a lot with just sitting and uh, when I first, just a little story, I know stories are helpful. When I first started out in the Dharma and Manindraji, my first teacher, came to my home, he, um, he asked how much I sat every day, if I sat every day. And I said, no, I didn't because I have children and it's pretty impossible to do that. And he said, what do you do most of the day? And the first thing was, I said was wash the dishes. There were a lot of... And so what he did was he took me to the sink and he said, okay, let's wash the dishes. I'm going to give you instruction. And the instruction he gave me was uh, as if I were with him in Bodh Gaya under the Bodhi tree. It was that, that that's sacred. As it, it wasn't just about sitting. Uh, it was about anything and everything you do in life. And the other thing he did was uh, ask me if I did any walking meditation. And I said, no, not really, you know, except in retreat. And so he showed me a place in my home where I might do walking meditation every day, like from the bedroom to the living room, dining room. 
and he took me there also and um, instructed me how to do that and just made it like, this is really important. This is not less important than what you do when you're sitting. So I hope that you all can take that with you to... um, because that's the way I practiced then for the rest of my time until I was able to get to a a more long-term retreat. And because I was able to practice in the movement of my life and everything that I do, when I went to the longer retreat, it was seamless. It was like I didn't have to just uh, learn how to, after you get up from the seat, learn to be con- have continuity, because I already had developed that continuity to a, to a good, good enough degree. So keeping it in all of your life is just as important as a sitting cushion. And, um, you know, there's a lot we learn as um, people who guide the younger ones, mothers, fathers, and any other position we're in, we learn from them. And we also, what we learn is to be more patient, to have more resilience, to have more resolve in what we're going to do um, and follow through with it. And all of these things, including like loving kindness, having equanimity, these are all paramis, um, beautiful qualities of mind that we learn actually because our children kind of uh, the young ones kind of make us have to open to that in order to live a harmonious life. So what about taking those paramis intentionally, even if you're not having any um, you know, challenges like that? Like I was a single parent also of three small children for quite a number of years, and I came away with that as being having a stronger sense of myself. So we, we can take those paramis intentionally. So know what they are, you know, and, and practice. Uh, I have uh, friends um, from different places, especially friends from Burma who have taught me that when they're not doing their month or two-month retreat in Burma, what they do the rest of the year is they take one of those beautiful ten qualities of mind and they intentionally practice that for the rest of the year. So just to name them, their generosity, loving kindness, equanimity, living in harmony, um, truthfulness, wisdom, perseverance, um, let's see, renunciation. pardon, renunciation, resolve, resolve. Patience. patience, yes. <laughs> That's one yeah, so um, choose one. You know, and uh, practice that. If you practice that every day, even for a month, uh, you'll make uh, intentional progress in your everyday. Because it's not just mindfulness. Mindfulness alone is not enough. We really have to practice the other uh, beautifications of the mind and the heart. You know, all the four Brahma Viharas as well. And... um, yeah, that, that's what makes this path a complete path. Just sitting incomplete. You have to make it a complete path in order for everything to work together. That's the way it is. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, systemic uh, 
dysfunctional uh, conditions that we live with. And to pretend that it's not dysfunctional is not the path of awakening. And so one of the first steps is to see what's going on and not avoid it, not minimize it, don't, not to deny it, but as much as possible, kind of take it in and feel the sense of overwhelm, uh, impatience, blaming, uh, wishing, hoping, feeling uh, in ineffective, there's a word, in, can't remember. Impotent. Impotent. There you go. So we can feel like no matter what we do, it's, it's not going to be enough. So part of, the, part of the way of addressing it is to educate yourself about what's the issue. You know, not in order to put the blame on anybody, but just to inform yourself. And then um, two things that I have done. One is to get actively involved in kind of the work you do with uh, others. Uh, and for example, the environmental degradation in large part on Maui due to cutting down a lot, most of the trees in order to graze cows. And that's not a good way to <laughs> preserve our home and the earth. but. It's the, it's the livelihood of a lot of people. So I'm not trying to put people out of, out of work. So instead of agitating them, we plant trees. So it's something we can do. It's not going to solve the problem, but it's a, something we can do to feel empowered and more effective. And it does have an effect. Maybe the biggest effect is how it, how it affects other people. Oh, we've, we've planted about 2,500, 3,000 trees. What are you doing for the forests of the earth? Lamenting the fact that it's getting depleted. Okay, I'm not, I'm not ranting about it. I'm just saying, even though it's overwhelming, do something maybe small, but effective to your heart, to emboldening your heart, to re respond to the condition, act in the way that you believe and feel. And don't, don't be careful not to think that you're going to achieve anything. No, expect, no expectation, but still do it. And you'll see, you'll feel better. And actually, other people uh, who see and hear of your actions may be so motivated also. Yeah. Was I ever swept away by fear because I have a diagnosis that's terminal, you mean? Yeah. No. I didn't feel afraid at all. In fact, 
I also don't have any hope. But I, but I also don't have any dread. Things go by, you know. There's this, oh my God, what if? And before I can finish the sentence, it's gone, and I don't have to deal with it. But my recognition of what I'm able to do is directly uh, dependent upon the practice. Awareness and learning to let go. Letting go of... Not, not letting go. That sounds a little bit like you're doing something like, I'm going to let go of this, which is not really letting go of anything, but just to let, let things be. And I think for me it was understanding that you know, I didn't invite this, and I can't make it go away. All I can do is be with it as it appears in my body, in my mind, in my relationships with others. And not to deny, not to avoid, not to minimize, and not to try to fix it. I'm not trying to fix anything, but I'm responding to conditions. And fear is not particularly effective in doing anything except making you miserable. Right? Nobody's out to harm me. Right? What am I afraid of? Like I'm going to not be here in a few years? Or a few months? I'm not going to know about that. Yeah? Was that the question? Did, I, did that answer your question? I, I, I have this thing, huh? All these little do-do-do-do-do's all around the head. And I got these wires run, running down my back. And I said, wow, I can't be walking around town like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my sister, who's a great seamstress, to sew me these do-rags. <laughs> so I have, a, I have about half a dozen different colors. So I can kind of get color coordinated. <laughs> so. Yeah. I I just wanted to add on to what Steve said, and also to um, say that I I haven't sensed fear from Steve. So even from my side, just trying to take things, and he does respond to say yes, let's do this, let yes let's do that he's just wanting to live longer too for the sake wanting that to happen if it can happen doing what he needs to do medically and um, taking more a lot of supplements and swimming and doing resting well all the things that one can do to help this along um but I, I know I have met a lot of people who do have fear, even around things like, you know, having pneumonia or having a cold. So I just want to, I just want to acknowledge that about how fear can arise in people and say that that's a natural thing also. I think Steve's pretty um, uh, exemplary in his ability to understand the mind uh, very clearly and very deeply. Um, but people around Steve fear for his absence 
in in our life. I don't have a whole lot of fear about that, but I can see it come by too. And the antidote to that is loving kindness. So I just wanted to acknowledge that fear exists in all of us that have things happen to us like that medically and emotionally and physically and that what we can do with it for ourselves and for the sake of others is also to offer to ourselves and to others this loving kindness so that we can let that sense and that feeling, that experience be a healing force within us. And it definitely is. Yeah, I can attest to that. Were there any, sir, the, the first question is, have there been any surprises? I'm, I'm trying to remember when I first got the diagnosis. Or, you know, I mean, the way this thing showed up was I was trying to talk with a friend while we were putting up some prayer flags at the sanctuary. And I was saying, hey, let's, let's put this one up here like that. And I tried to say that to him, and it came out, gobbledygook, blah, 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 blah. And I say, wait a minute, that's not what I meant to say. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And that also didn't come out right. So I tried it one more time, and it came out, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh, the hell with it. Uh, and let's keep going. Yeah, so we put up the flags and da da da. A couple hours later, I was back in the house with uh, Kamala and my friend and his, his wife, and I was saying, hey, you know, this funny thing happened to me today, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I just couldn't, couldn't make sense. And it only lasted for 20 seconds. And I said, and then it was okay. And, and Kamala, in her ultimate wisdom, just said, hey, maybe you ought to talk to somebody about this. Because <laughs> for me, it was just normalized almost instantly. So it's just like, maybe you do So I called a friend of mine who's an emergency room doctor and told him what happened. And he said, take an aspirin and get to the emergency room as quick as possible. That night, it was CAT scans got something in here. In the morning, it was an MRI. says, looks like a glioblastoma. Get a surgeon as quick as you can. Other friends did that. Uh, got a, another radiation. No, can uh, uh, He was a radiation oncologist, radi- radiologist, and uh, he was uh, able to get me into surgery in a week, which is unheard of. Uh, so I didn't have time to get afraid, or to just like. It was just, it, it was kind of a surprise, like, huh. But I didn't take it as, oh my gosh, what's going to happen next? I, I, my mind didn't go there. It was just like, huh, I guess I better do this. I got to do that. Got to do this. Got to do that. It's more like just being responsive rather than uh, flipped out in some way. Surprise. There was a lot that I didn't expect and didn't know what was going to happen. And so when things unusual would happen, like this cognitive stuff, uh, <laughs> it, actually, it was all kind of funny. It was kind of like amusing. It's amazing and amusing because <coughs> even though my memory and cognition and understanding what people are saying and being able to s- say what is, I was actually thinking 
It was totally scrambled. But my mind, my mindfulness noticed it all and didn't get reactive to it. It's just like, even though the, the verbal stuff and the mental stuff is kind of wacky, mindfulness is still there. Wow, that was, that was really, that's surprising. You know, really surprising. So even, even in the depths of my craziness, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't understand what people were saying. I, I tried to, I tried to say something to him. It was gobbledygook. And, uh, I, it got to the point where I couldn't figure out how to spell a two-letter word, a two-letter word. And I, I was just like, how does this go together? That's how, that's how wacky it was. And, but I didn't, it was just like, it was like, wow, this is, this is really strange. You know, I, I know it was weird and I know it was strange, but I wasn't upset about it. It's just like, wow. It's like, and, and the other thing that I mentioned it, it's like when something strange or surprising or unexpected happens, you know, it's normalized within half a day. It's just like, oh, this is the new normal. Okay. Can't make myself understood. Okay. Well, that's the way it is. I know that sounds crazy. And you know what? That's what a lot of people who have this condition and don't have mindfulness, they're pretty much crazy. Meaning, they don't understand what's going on in their mind, they don't understand anything about it. Even if the doctor says everything they can, and people are around them trying to reassure them, it doesn't work. You're alone with your mind 24-7. You know. But I didn't have to take any kind of uh, mind-numbing uh, treatment. Yeah. So, what was the question? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when you got out of surgery? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, when I went into surgery, I didn't really understand that this was a very threatening surgery. Like, I could have come out of that surgery with uh, paralysis anywhere, or with uh, inability to understand or speak in a way that I could be understood. And I, I must have been told that before <laughs> before I went to surgery, but I didn't remember it. And all I all I said to Kamala said, "When I come out of this, I want to be clear and I want to know what's going on." Like, hello. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's a, a, a mindfulness perspective on it. And so, Kamala was in the recovery room with a friend of ours, who the doctor, one of the doctors. Uh, when I kind of came out of the uh, anesthesia that I had, the first thing <laughs> Kamala tells me, the first thing I did was, I'm here, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, just like, it's like I'm here. I know. I know who you are. And 
the first, I have to say, the first thing he was checking out was, did he understand what was going on? And he knew he had to check that out. So it was like, I think I know what's going on. We're in this, we're in this after surgery room, and you are Kamala, and this is Tan, and and he just really, he was really checking himself. So I thought, well, that's Steve. <laughs> and, and you know, it, it's really, it's really, it's like a big science project. It's just a big science project, like. You're, you're, you're observing the data, you know, these are what's going on in the mind and the body and whatnot, and then you try to make sense of it, trying to understand it. But, you know, there's not much to understand except things are changing all the time, and they're always out of control, and a lot of them are unpleasant. Those are the three characteristics. Of <laughs> so, it's a great... Oh, the other thing, this was really, this was surprising. So I come out of surgery, and I'm in take, doing chemo and uh, radiation every day for six weeks. And I was still doing meditation. You know, during, I'd go to sit with people at the site or with Kamala, and I'd sit for, you know, 45 minutes a day, a day or a couple of times a day. And it's like, wow, because the mind was so um, damaged, I mean, the brain was so damaged. It's like, I would sit down, it's like, wow, nothing going on in the mind. It was, it's like the mind was empty, the body was no pain in the body. It was like, and it was like spontaneous continuity of mindfulness. It's like, wow, I thought, wow, this is the way to get it. <laughs> but slowly over, over the months, uh, you know the usual wandering mind and achy body, and this stuff has come back. Has come back. So, uh, but I, I don't want to go through another surgery to kind of re-experience. <laughs> oh boy, yeah. So, Kamala, how has this journey been for you to observe and to be a part of it? Your emotional and mental mindfulness. Well, I think if I didn't have the Dharma and that and that training, it would it would really be much much harder. Yeah, it isn't that hard. I have to say, I do. I can get physically um, tired with traveling, and now we're doing a little teaching. I mean, we did a big teaching <laughs> recently. Um, but I I can see that in looking at my own mind uh, while it's going on. It's a real strength. The most I can say is there's, it's a real strength to have the Dharma because I don't personalize as much uh, why this is happening to me. I just know this is what needs to be done and what, what's the mind doing in relationship to what needs to be done. And most of the time, I'm not doing things because I feel like I, I don't want to do them and I'm just tolerating this experience I mean Steve used the word tolerate but that does not describe my relationship to what Steve is going through I just have a lot of um, immediate response to his this situation at a certain time at certain times and my immediate response is usually 
a a wholesome state. It's usually a wholesome state. I, and that's not just because I'm a you know I'm a good person or I just practiced a lot. So you practice inclining the mind towards that no matter what's happening. So it's really easy to care to to give that care. And I think that when there's a lot of people Steve has nurtured a life of dharma. So he has a lot of people around him who are like that. So he just has good karmic conditions too to you know be in the situation he's in. I get concerned, you know, and I wonder like I come in the gate at home and I think I may not be coming home to this all the time where he's there. And it's just like that um, a kind of a preliminary grieving, you know. But who knows? I mean, I see people, my friends around me dying at my age and younger. So I could, I could even go before Steve. So I touch base with that reality uh, all the time. And life has just become much more precious um, to taking care of life and things that uh, we could have gone over and over again. A lot of things drop, drop away because they're just not that important. You know, it's... um, Anyway, it's like that, yeah. I feel quite alive with with all of it. And um, I'm happy that Steve is around helping me too. (laughs) Because he's a big help around our around our sanctuary. So thank you for asking. And I just want to say I want to be a spokesperson for all caregivers. Caregivers are often forgotten, and it's the you know sometimes prayers are given all the time for for the. I mean, some of my dear friends or caregivers say, "Please speak for the caregivers." Prayers are always given to the ones who are um, who have the medical condition, but the ones who are caring all all for for those people they need they need that um, they need those prayers too they need the support too because a lot of times the weight of that can be just as heavy or heavier on the caregiver so um, i don't I really don't feel that heaviness so much actually. But I really, sometimes I understand it, and my heart goes out to all the caregivers in the world. Um, yeah. Thank you for asking. All what? Um, with mindful awareness you come to understand that the way things are moment to moment is mostly out of our control you know we we just can't 
We can't control the body, we can't control the mind in the way that we might choose. So to the extent that I, we, anyone can acknowledge how it actually is for you right there at that time. Not thinking about two years later or three years later, just right now. And you, you, you get in touch with it and you realize, what can I do right now? Can I fix it? Can't fix it. Can I, the only thing I could do is avoid it, dismiss it, deny it, you know. And, but actually doing thing about it, the only thing I can do about it is accept. Oh, this is the way it is. This is the way it is. Um, so not struggling with the way it is and not having a preference that it be any, any, any other ways. And that, that kind of understanding is only possible through practice. Hearing the Dharma, hearing the Dharma and practicing the Dharma and not just kind of trying to, trying to think that way, but actually be that way. And when that kind of uh, understanding is kind of like the default setting of your mind, everything is workable. Everything is workable. It's not like, I gotta fix this so I can get back to normal. This is normal. You know, whatever, it's natural. It's nature, just kind of unfolding. You know? I can't remember what the question was, but <laughs> that was the answer. Came <laughs> the other thing is, uh, I was just noticing that Geez, a lot of what I say, you laugh, like, laugh, like, what, what is that laughing about? Is it because, oh my godness, <laughs> you know, sometimes we laugh when we just don't have any other, can't imagine it, any other appropriate response, it's just like, like you kind of, <laughs> you know, and I'm not trying to be funny, it's just, you know what? Life is pretty funny, you know, if you have, if you don't have a rigid, I gotta be, it's gotta be this way and I want it to be that and I don't want it to be that. If you have that kind of mind, it's not funny. You know, if you're not so attached to whatever you prefer, then it's like <laughs> amazing things happen every day. So be there for it. Hmm? That's a good answer. Did I? Did he? Yeah. So I think you you asked. Say it again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a little different than saying it is as it is, and when you say, oh, this is as it should be, you get a deeper level of acceptance or finding that wonder in it or the joy in it, but you know, it's not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a power
Mm-hmm. I think we we all express that experience differently. So maybe it's the way it's expressed. I don't think I I mean anything different about should than you mean this is the way it is right now. Yeah. And um, in fact, you know, I think should in our, maybe in particular generations, you know, is a bad word. (laughs) Like I remember Ram Ram Dass used to say, don't should upon me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm in that generation. So um, it's not like anybody's deeming that to be so. Same thing about it's all, it's causes and conditions that have already um, begun to make its impact in this moment. And when it begins to, when it starts to make its impact, and it's that impact is already there, how can you stop a sensation that's already arising? How can you stop a thought that's already going through? How can you stop a smell that's already being smelled, a sight that's already taken in to be seen, and all of you know the five sense doors in the mind? When it's already happening, you could say that how can it be otherwise? It's another way of saying it's all, you know, as it should be, which was one of the last words of my guidance. So I must have said that too. Steve must have said that. So. Um, it means the same thing for me that it mean that you said it means for you that there are these uh, these we can't even think that deeply how many causes and conditions have come together to form this moment. It's imponderable. You know, the Buddha said it would make your head explode, something like that, or he said something like that. So we can't go on and and look all at that. But what we can learn from this moment is when something has come up and it's already there, you can't do anything about it, but just be aware of it. But what we can be aware of is its impersonal, impermanent nature. And when the mind knows that moment to moment to moment, and when it finally gets to a tipping point, uh, depending on what your karmic conditioning and karmic impact is, when it gets to that tipping point, it's a, it's a very, very deep and wide aha moment. And you can never go back and, and think that anything is permanent, or that anything has really some sort of solid sense to it. There's always there's this new understanding that um, is the baseline and the overarching understanding of everything. So one sees through those lens which the Buddha called right view. And it, it makes things a lot easier. That doesn't mean that you don't get hurt anymore. It just means that the relationship to that hurt is, um, has more wisdom to it and a lot more compassion. Yeah. One here in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot of us in the world that have cancer. A lot. 
and some you can see and some you can't. But we all have, we all have a, an exit ticket in our pocket. And you never know when that ticket is going to be called in. Even you, all of you, you're on the, you're in, you're in the same boat as he and I, you know? Maybe your, maybe your boat is sinking and you don't know it yet. Right? Just, thank you for sharing that. Yeah? Hi. Hi. Smile. Yeah, you should smile. Feel free to smile. Take that Well, thank you so much for coming. And uh, one, just a comment, being in this room, um, I remember a conversation we were having a couple months ago, and it was this kind of energy, you know, really ponderous about the end of life and, and that sort of thing. It was a Sunday morning, and I think a lot of us were speaking about passing or death and I was sitting close over there and suddenly I heard all of this like I felt this energy and heard this energy behind me and Mark said well the kids are coming so you know we kind of need to wrap this up and suddenly like the kids just like burst into the room you know and then they fanned out and they come up here and then we sing this song with them and I just since I'm a little bit um, I don't take this personally, and I don't take children the children's energy personally. I just really noticed that this youthful life, just like pushing into the room, like could not be denied, you know. And when they came in and started singing, it just kind of changed everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if, if you care to comment on it, but it really is the impersonal nature of young life in this manifestation, and mm -hmm. and aging life and that's you know neither is to be denied and they won't be denied and we won't be denied but it's both beautiful but very very different you know in its energy yeah. frequency mm -hmm. yeah don't stop what else to say <laughs> I mean, you know, I, you know but it, it is it's like a, this is a mystery birth is a mystery it's all a mystery Right? But it's, it won't, neither will be denied. Ah, so. yeah. You know, we, we have a new, um, what, five, 15 months, 18 months, uh, granddaughter. Hey, talk about live wire. You know, she is interested in everything. Unbelievable. You know, she's just checking things out like, wow, 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 everything, you know. I feel a little bit like that because a lot of what I experience is not familiar, it's not routine, I never know what's coming next. It's just like, if I wasn't interested, I'd be jerked around continuously. But whatever happens, I'm interested. Like, hey, what's going on here? Wow. You know, and I have a couple of people that can, that I can share everything that's going on with me, physically, emotionally, otherwise. And they have this fantastic capacity to hear everything I'm saying and how, how I'm appearing over the course of every few days, and they give me an appraisal. It's like, wow, it seems like you're a little bit da da da, da or I've noticed you're da 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 da, because I don't notice this about myself. I'm just interested in everything. But I think that is part of the key of not getting stuck somewhere in uh, some 
anticipation, expectation, frustration, dread. Doesn't happen. Not with interest. Hi, Doug. Hi. <laughs> nice to see you. You do? You still have questions? <laughs> when is it ever going to end? <laughs> Give me the wrap. Um, so, in, in the narrative you gave, I didn't hear, but you, maybe you experienced real strong physical pain. And I find, like, I just had a kidney stone. Oh. You know, I have been really lucky. I haven't had any pain at all. No pain. I mean, I have fatigue, and that's kind of like, <coughs> you know, like that. And maybe the worst pain is being a little constipated. You know, you're taking all this stuff, and it's like it's not food, and it doesn't want to go through, and zzz. so that's a little bit discomforting and unfamiliar. But sharp pain, even when they're Cutting your brain open. No nerves in the brain. So it's like, no, no. So I'm sorry, I, I can't. <laughs> I haven't had to take any kind of uh, opiate or narcotics of any sort. A little bit of tincture kind of helps smooth things out, but it's not enough to obliviate pain, no pain. So can't, can't comment on that. You said um, part of the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the way to peace. Let them be humble and... What was the next one? Pardon? Upright. Upright. Gentle of speech. Yeah, it goes on. I can't remember all. Hmm. That's good to remember. Okay, up in the corner there. Hi. In terms of what? Lifestyle changes. Lifestyle change. 
Uh, I don't work much anymore. I, you know, many of you know I've I've had a teaching uh, routine for 25 years, and <clears throat> I had to cancel all my retreats, all my working retreats uh, last year, and I'm slowly pie- piecing together the confidence to do a couple this year. So, lifestyle change. I used to be very physical in on the land, planting trees, pruning trees, taking care of, you know, property, land, and I can't do that anymore. I don't have the strength, I don't have the stamina, and when I was taking uh, chemo and radiation, I lost a lot of uh, muscle mass, and... <clears throat> And it hasn't really come back. It's kind of slowly coming back. So there's not the physical activity that I am familiar with, or have been. And that's a little uh, I've adapted. You know, just have to put that aside. And when uh, <coughs> uh, when I got this thing. Um, I had a uh, a friend who's a doctor and came to attend with me to spend with us for spend time with us for a month or I don't know maybe a couple of months I don't know and uh, he had the brilliant idea of maybe we should go swimming and I said oh, okay okay so we went down to the beach and went swimming and. I've been going every other day since then. And the, the pool is Pacific. <laughs> wow, it's <This is> cool. <laughs> so we go to the beach and I, I, have, I have to have, uh, even in the pool, I have to have someone within arm's reach. Because if I have a seizure, I'm out of sight and there's not time to get there later. So. I have these seizures, and when they happen, it's I got to have somebody right there. So that's the life that I'm saying. I can't drive anymore, uh, so I have to be chauffeured everywhere I go. That's a lifestyle change. Um, I'm not interested in um, abstract thinking, the news. Uh, I mean, really, I just like those. All that stuff just falls out of the. Out of the realm of interest, I just don't have an interest. I don't have an interest in it. I'm not reading fiction nor dharma. It's like the mind just doesn't doesn't get far, very far away from right here. What's going on in the body and the mind all the time, and I can't get lost in a, a novel or even a news article. And that's something I used to do a lot too, but now no. no doing it. So, when I talk about it like this, I see, oh yeah, there's big lifestyle change. But it doesn't seem like it's not against my interest. My interest is to accept this life change. Yes. Okay, lifestyle change. I have had to consider, you know, if the tumor continues to grow, and the the first line of treatment with regrowth of the tumor is more surgery. But the statistics of second surgery for this kind of uh, 
condition, disease, is that you're most likely to come out of it with uh, paralysis of at least half the body. And that causes me to think, okay, if I get that option, or if I have that choice, would I choose that lifestyle? I'll keep you informed. In case it happens. Well, I just want to say that his radiologist also said, in the meantime, there are other modalities that are coming out. And you, you just never know. We're not grabbing on to hope, but you just never know what's going to come up to make a um, discernment about whether one should go through or not. So how it is now is not going to be how it is you know, two months from now. So right now, this is how it is. Yeah. One last comment. You know, the most significant lifestyle change is this thing. My constant companion. It's with me, you know, 23, 21 hours a day. And i got to change the batteries and take care of it. And it's, it's a little more demanding than a pet. <laughs> you know, so, so, but, you know, and this is a big, heavy thing. And I have to have two extra uh, baggage for when I fly. And when I go through the security check at the at the at the airport, oh, sometimes I get a, a long, <laughs> a long search, body search. You know, they want to know everything, and but they let me through. So that that's a uh, lifestyle. Da, 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 da. But on one of the flights, was it the which flight was it? I guess it was. The flight coming here from San Francisco, coming here, yeah, it was flight from, uh, yeah, coming to Minneapolis to go to the retreat. And I happened to be sitting by a guy, and uh, when I'm, when I, now when I'm carrying this thing around, you know, when I sit down in the plane and there's somebody beside me, I said, hey, I just want to let you know that I have this medical device doing this. It's, it's not, it's not going to harm you in any way. It's not radio, radioactive or anything like that. You know, I might have, you might hear it beeping, telling me I have to change my battery, blah, blah, blah. You know, okay. So they said, oh, most people say, oh, thanks for letting us know. So fine, no problem. So I told the guy that was, that I was sitting by, oh, I've got this medical thing, da, da, da. Okay. And somewhere in the flight, a little bit later, he says, uh, uh, I, I don't. I don't know how we got on the topic, but come to find out, he works in a scientific lab in Cambridge area, Boston area. One of his colleagues, his research work is trying to figure out how to miniaturize <laughs> this thing. <laughs> So that it can be planted in the skull with a little battery pack here. Now that would be a lifestyle change. <laughs> yeah. So I, I naively I said, "Oh, well, <clears throat> how's the research going?" So oh, we're always <laughs> sign me up. No. And uh, I said, "Well, how much is how much does this cost?" I was thinking. I want to contribute to this fund. Yeah. Well, the first kind of like, uh, you know, in investigation is about five million. 
and the prior prototype is another 40, 000, 40 million, and uh, testing on animals and things is another you know, 75 million, and you're up to 100, 150 million dollars just to, before it even gets to market. So that was more than I could afford. <laughs> but I got friends, so if anybody wins a lottery, Thank you very much for all your questions. Um, I didn't plan it to be, we didn't plan it to be like this, but you know what? We don't plan a lot of things in life. (laughs) (laughs) This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.